Do you feel that you don't measure up, that you need to get it together before you can come to Him? Great news, it's not up to you. Grace isn't measured by what you are capable of. It's a gift immeasurably given. I want to start with a question today. Um, Here's the question. You have a choice. Well, not really, but I'm going to make you think you have a choice. Okay. Uh, Would you like for me to tell you things that sound good and make you feel happy and warm all over? Or would you like me to just tell you the truth? Right? (laughs) Sometimes they are the same, aren't they? Yeah. Oftentimes, not so much. So I'm going to just come out of the gate with this right from the very beginning. Mankind is inherently evil. And we all were born with a sinful, evil nature. If you don't know Christ when you die or when Jesus returns, you're going to spend eternity in hell forever, separated from everything that is good, enduring unbearable torment. Jesus is the only escape, the only Savior, the only way to avoid such a disastrous future. There. There's good news today, right? Now, you may find that objectionable. Many people today do. We live in a day where if you hold such a belief as I just described, you are seen as a bigot, uncaring, intolerant of other belief systems. You are, you are seen as not fitting in with this new world that we have, this new progressive agenda that we live in today. And for those who find it objectionable, and choose to disregard it in favor of, let's say, more palatable modern ways of thinking, I would offer this. What I described is what the Bible teaches. (laughs) Did you know that the Bible is not an accommodating book? (laughs) It doesn't allow for other belief systems to have any measure of truth. Oh, then one might say, well, then I'm just not going to believe in the Bible. Oh, but here's the problem with that. (laughs) Everything the Bible has ever predicted, what? Has actually come true exactly the way it said it would. Everything the Bible says about human nature, (laughs) we actually know to be true. The Bible is the only reasonable explanation of how we all got here. The scientific evidence for creation as described in the Scripture is overwhelming. Yes, you heard that right. Scientific evidence for creation. Not only that, the Bible lines out many things about the end of days, which we actually see coming true in our day, just exactly like what the Bible said it would. And to say you choose not to believe in the Bible because you don't like what it says, well, it's like me looking in the mirror thinking, I'm looking at the most handsome man in the world. Thank you very much. So the question is this. 
Will you believe what is true even if you don't like it or it makes you an outcast in the world today or whatever? The only other option is to believe things which are simply not true. Yeah, it goes all the way back. You know, what is, this, what is Satan called? He's the father of lies. When he speaks, he lies. He deals in deception. We're in this seven-week series called Grace Walk, exploring the relationship that we have with Jesus through his gift of grace to us. And we begin each week with just a statement, and, uh, and then we look at that statement through Scripture, and we want to see what Scripture says about it. So here's today's statement. You don't have an evil twin living inside of you. Amen. That's good news today. Aren't you glad to know that, by the way? Yeah. However, sometimes do you feel like you do? And you, you look at that statement, you go, why am I still tempted with sin? Why do I still sin? And we're going to look more at that question in depth next week. But many ask those questions and they end up with the conclusion that, well, because I do and I, I still am prone and I still have these things, I, there is a resident evil living in me. It's a permanent condition of the human experience regardless of what Jesus did on the cross. They have to come to the conclusion, his death and resurrection, and they, they fall short of answering my problem of sin. So let's walk through this. What were we like when we were born? We were cute little babies, weren't we? Well, look what the Bible says, Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as through one man's sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. Ephesians 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature, by nature, identity, children of wrath, even as the rest. We're all in the same boat. And if that's not enough, Romans 3. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All, I, all have turned aside, together have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. You want to say, Paul, we get it. <laughs> so here's my point. We were born thoroughbred sinners. Like I said earlier, don't you love babies? I mean, they are the sweetest thing. They're so cute. They're harmless. Now, sometimes I get in trouble, but I'm going to say this anyway. Babies really only care about one thing, themselves. They cry, sometimes scream when they're hungry. They cry when they need changing. They only care about their little needs and demand quick parental intervention. If you're not sure about the inbred selfishness in these cute little ones, 
Wait until they're toddlers. Two of the first words toddlers seem to learn are the words no and mine. We all know this, right? Now, some have a nicer disposition than others, but they are still little selfish creatures. You don't have to teach them how to be bad. It just comes natural. The point is this. We have inherited a sinful nature from their original parents, Adam and Eve, and uh, they, their sin soiled the race. They became incapable of producing a righteous seed, and two sinful beings cannot produce a righteous child. So that nature... That nature has been passed down to all humanity, traced back to the very beginning. And uh, we are born not just as people who sin, but we are born sinners at the core of our being. It is our identity. And it's critical to understand biblical truth. That is a critical doctrinal tenet if you're going to understand what the Bible says about our journey with Jesus. Because if you believe even a sliver of goodness in humanity... It eliminates the need for a rescue, a savior, a deliverer. You can just have this little sliver of goodness. I can do good on my own, and so I am going to be good on my own, and I can just grow that. I don't need God. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, just simply does not accommodate that. Oh, can, uh, can selfish, uh, sinful people do good things? Sure, but it doesn't make them good. The gospel, the good news, doesn't accommodate that, but oh, does it have an answer for us, amen. <laughs> Romans 6, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that, may, so that grace may increase? Now, to understand those two questions, you have to go back to chapter 5 and look at the last paragraph which is describing how awesome grace is, that there's no, there's no mountain of sin that grace cannot forgive and meet. You don't get to a point in your life where God says, okay, I've had grace and grace and grace. You've won too many. You're out. No. So the logical conclusion, if you follow that path, is if, if I want more grace, what do I need to do more? Sin. Because it says more sin, more grace. I want grace. And so Paul's just answering the logical conclusion. Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. It's abhorrent. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? And then the sixth verse, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin? When you believe in Christ for your salvation, the spiritual person of your birth is united with him on the cross. And what happened at the cross? Jesus died. And so when you're original person goes with him on the cross, it dies too. The person who was powerless when it came to temptation, he died. 
The person who lived under the constant shadow of condemnation and guilt, and I just can't measure up. He died. In Christ, the thoroughbred sinner died. And I think it's time to celebrate the funeral. <laughs> he is dead and gone. And so many Christians, we just, they just don't get this. They still live under this constant weight of guilt, this constant weight of condemnation. I'm so trying too hard to be a good Christian. and They sin and sin and sin thinking the old guy's still alive. I have evidence to prove he's still alive. Look at what I do. And they refuse to accept the freedom from sin that Christ has given them. How can you, how can you who died still live in it? It says, we know this, that our old self was crucified with Christ so that we are no longer slaves to sin. Praise God for the death of inherited sinful me. (laughs) He's gone. God has not cleared out the cobwebs of your life. He has killed the spider. But what happens sometimes is that people who have come to Christ and they're reborn and they're made new, transformed at their salvation by the finished work of the grace of Jesus Christ, begin to start thinking, now it is up to me to obey and carry out all the commands of Jesus. Boy, do I have a road in front of me. You know what I say to that? Uh Uh-oh. Warning, that's not how this works. And that thinking that it's all up to me is why they think they're powerless over sin. Because if it's all up to me, what am I going to keep doing? And they draw the conclusion, maybe God really didn't change me. Maybe I'm not really a Christian. I don't know. I, I, I seem to struggle with the same things. Look at this verse in Colossians 3. Again, for you have died, but here's what happened. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, sometimes I tell you this ahead of time, and I'm going to say it now. Sometimes when you look at grace, grace doesn't fit in our world. There's nothing like it in the world. And the church for centuries has been trying to make grace fit in a world system and it doesn't fit so a lot of things that grace does sound wrong like this jesus is not counting on you for your obedience it doesn't say in scripture that you have died so now you need to get to work obeying in order to prove yourself worthy of such a salvation It says you have died so that now your life is hidden with Christ and the Father. The word hidden means to be sheltered and covered. It's like a home. It's like a safe place. It's this place to abide, to live. The old us died so that we could come in from the cold, evil world into the presence of Christ to be joined to him. Galatians 2.20, I have been, here it is again, crucified with Christ. Past tense. It is no longer I who live, 
but it's Christ who lives in me. He is my identity. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Look at it closely. We're going to leave it up there for a little bit. Just read it. It states the fact that the old you has died with Christ. It's no longer, it no longer lives at all. And life now is Christ. In fact, Jesus comes and lives in the same place where the old guy lived. We looked at that last week. We gave our sin, and he gave us his righteousness. An exchange has been made. And yet I still live in this body. And we were, I said it last week, I'm going to start calling it this. This is my earth suit. You know, astronauts, they put on a suit, and then when they come back to earth, they get rid of it. This is my earth suit. I'm getting rid of this one day. I still have flesh and bones, and they're unredeemed, heading towards death, getting older and older and older. So the new me inside has to still live in the old me on the outside. So the verse says, the life I now live in this earth suit, I live solely by faith in Jesus. I don't put any faith in me to do this. I don't even for a minute believe I have what it takes to live this new life. I always say this, there's only one person that can live the Christian life. His name is Jesus, it's not you. I had to trust him for my salvation and I have to trust him to live this new life that he's given me. Now, I don't know, some of you may get this really quick, but it took me a long time to learn how to apply this in the way I live my life. I would self-evaluate every day. I, I'm, I'm the kind of person that's bent towards wanting to be a good person. Some of you rebels out there didn't have no idea what I'm talking about, but it's just the way I'm wired. I'm a people pleaser. I wanted to please my parents, wanted to please my teachers. I wanted to please God. God, I'm going to make you happy today. I'm not going to sin. <laughs> You're going to applaud me at the end of the day. And I lived in a constant sense of condemnation, guilt, and then I started preaching. Whew. I mean, when I started preaching years ago, I wanted so bad to do good. After all, what I do here is a pretty incredible responsibility, wouldn't you say? Oh, thanks a lot. <laughs> it's God's Word. It's people's lives. And so I would fret over it, and I would work hard, and I would develop what I thought, okay, this is, this is, this is a home run this week. And then every Sunday afternoon, I would reflect on how it went. And I have to say that Sunday afternoon used to be a very dark time for me. There were several years I couldn't enjoy one football game. <laughs> it was almost like I, I sunk into this place of depression as I realized how short I had fallen, how, how, how short I've come from effectively teaching God's Word. 
And there have been times I wanted to quit just because I don't want to feel that way on Sunday afternoon. But then one day, it hit me. Jesus is not counting on me. Praise God. And you who listen to me every week, praise God, Jesus is not counting on me. (laughs) He telling me he's perfectly capable of pulling this off. All he needs is access to my mind, my spirit, and my voice, and he'll take care of it. Just go ahead and live your life in the earth suit, but place all your faith in me to do what I need to do. And one day I was, I I remember this, I decided I was tired of seeing what my flesh could do on a Sunday morning. I want to see what Jesus might be able to do. I want you to know now, I love Sunday afternoons. I love football. I walk off this platform on Sunday morning, I'm on to the next thing. Because it's Jesus' work and he has to do what he's going to do with it in your life and in my life. I don't care the responsibility. The old has died. So here's the truth about the believer. First, he describes unbelievers. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Remember that Satan, this is what Satan works. Satan works in the area of deception. He's the father of lies. He can't tell the truth. But he's deceiving people to think that these people might be going to heaven. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of of God. It's just the truth. Then he talks about the believer. Such were some of you, but you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God, you were washed, sanctified, and justified. You are clean, pure, and righteous. Praise the Lord. (laughs) And I think some of you might look at that statement and go, No, I'm not. You don't know what I did this last week. That's not me. And I tell you, if you object to that statement, your objection is no doubt centered on your performance not living up to the statement. That's not what it's saying. It's not evaluating one's performance. It is making a statement of fact of who the redeemed are. He starts by saying the unrighteous will not be in God's kingdom. These are thoroughbred sinners. <laughs> and he has this whole list of them. By the way, as a little side note, there is no way to nuance this list to make it accommodate modern lifestyles and somehow be okay. Can you be a Christian and struggle with some of the stuff on that list? Absolutely. Absolutely. But he is saying that people have deceived themselves, and there will come a time when people will deceive themselves, I say that's today, by thinking Christianity mixes with these evils. That these are okay somehow. Somehow it's like, it's how I was born, it's who I am. 
You can be a good alcoholic Christian. You can be a good homosexual Christian. You can be a good Christian who has an open adulterous marriage uh, with many partners. It's just the way Christianity is today. Deception. These are the characteristics of unbelievers. Then the passage goes on and states the truth about the Christian. You have been washed. Praise God we've been washed. We've been cleaned up. The, the word washed means that filth has been put away from you. Used to be here on you. Now the filth has been put away from you. Sin is forgiven and forgotten. Amen. Do you know that God has forgiven all of your sin in Christ Jesus and it's already been forgotten, right? So you've forgotten all about it, right? You don't keep beating yourself up over your past sins, do you? God doesn't. Why do you? You've been sanctified. We'll talk more about that next week, but Christ has brought the purity of his life into your life. When you live in him, when you are abiding in him, the holiness of his life lives through you. You have been justified, a judicial term. You've been declared innocent, free from all charges against you. These are all true of all believers. You are a new person in Christ because he wanted to have a relationship with you. A loving, intimate, moment by moment relationship with you. You know that Jesus loves you today? Not just on paper. Not just because it says it. He loves you. When Cindy and I got married, it was because we loved each other. And the people said, oh, right, yeah. We enjoyed each other's company. We had fun together. We shared life together. And we wanted to do that for a lifetime. 41 and a half years later, it's still all about love. I love you. You see, I do not get up in the morning and think now that I have that marriage license, whew, I got some responsibility. I need to perform as a husband. I need to constantly evaluate how many times I've pleased her today, how many times I've absolutely ticked her off today. Because I know she's keeping track. And the goal is to end up every day with more good performances than bad performances, and that will mean I am a good husband and the marriage is okay. That's what it's all about, right? That's exactly how most people treat God. He's a boss. He's a judge. He's an evaluator. He's some kind of overseer. Marking ups and downs in your life. The Bible doesn't describe him that way. 
describes him as a bridegroom. And we are his bride. <laughs> people, people don't enjoy God because they're too busy trying hard to make God happy. And, and the truth is, as long as you are living under the weight of behavioral compliance, you'll always fail. Your flesh will never be able to do it. When you give up, on the other hand, when you keep the dead guy in the grave and live in the shelter and the home, the abiding place of Jesus, and let him love you and fill you and live through you, his life just does his thing in you as you. And life is so much more meaningful and powerful and joyful. Are you on your own today? Uh, you, are you trying to make this all work and be good enough and succeed and always seem to be maybe unhappy and stressed and maybe even confused? My question is, aren't you tired of living that way? Here's the invitation. Why don't you just come on in? from the evil, cold world out there. Let Jesus bring you into his place. Accept the invitation to come to Jesus. If you've never known Jesus, meet him. Meet him today. It's not an idea or a theology or a thought. It's a person. Talk to him. And just say, I know I was born a sinner. In fact, I learned today, I was, I was born a thoroughbred sinner. And I don't have to be that way. I want new life. Place your belief, your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin. Receive new life in him. Come into his presence. And you're, if you're a Christian, but you are living out in the cold world of behavioral compliance, trying to hard to do it your own way, always working on your efforts to be a better Christian. Same invitations for you. Come to the life of Jesus. Get to know him. His love for you. The door's always been standing open. I always picture this scene, a warm fire, nice, maybe chocolate chip cookies in there, you know. <laughs> and it's raining and windy and snowing out there and the Christian's out there toiling, trying to make it work. And the door's wide open. Why are you out there? Come on in. One, two, three, four. We do hope that you've enjoyed this episode today. If you'd like to learn more about Grace Bible Church in Georgetown, Texas, please visit us at gbcgt.org. Many blessings from our church family to yours.